Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. come to this time where we engage the word. And we have two passages we're going to read from today. And both of them, they may seem unrelated, but when we place them side by side, it's remarkable what they offer one another, what they offer us. Before we read, before we hear, before we learn and engage, we are going to offer a prayer. And so let us just clear our minds, turn off distractions, and ask God to speak to us. And so let us pray together. Lord, I thank you that we have this time, that we can come to you, that we can be together, that we can read from your word and hear the voices of those who walked thousands of years before us, that we can learn how you worked among them to teach us, to inspire us about how you work among us. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and bring these words to life. Let us come to know of you and your word upon our heart. Bless what has been prepared. Speak through me in spite of me. And bless our hearing, Lord. Let us hear you in spite of ourselves. We have come here to engage with you, to be changed, to be molded, to be renewed. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to embody what it is you would have us hear and be and do. And may all that we embody and carry on from this point, may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We are in our series on discipleship, and it's called Follow Me. It's six weeks long, and we're in week three. And the United Methodist Church mission is, and if you know it, say it with me, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So what is a disciple? What is a disciple maker? That's what we're set out to do. We are committed to being disciples and being disciple makers. And so let's define the word disciple. We've been talking about this word for a few weeks, and so... Let's define disciple, and if we define it by a Wesleyan way of thinking, we could say that a disciple is a witness to Jesus Christ in the world who follows his teaching through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be disciples. That's why we're here at church. This is not, this faith is not about taking care of our life after death. This faith is about entering into new life here and now with God. Finding meaning and purpose is what this life brings us. We become a follower, a student, a disciple of Jesus Christ and experiencing transformation ourselves through this process, while we also seek to transform the world around us by making more 
disciples, inviting others in to this faith to walk and live with us as a community, as a body. And so it's not just about the teachings of Jesus and our definition. It said that we follow his teachings through our acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion. And so it's acting as a means of living into the teachings. They belong together. We learn and we act as one. And that's, that's the purpose and mission of a disciple. Now, we started week one with baptism. And so we spoke of Jesus Christ's baptism and the tearing apart of the heavens as the inbreaking kingdom came in among the systems and the world and reality of first century Israel. And it shook everything to its core, and it continues to shake us to our core in our system, in our culture today. Because Jesus comes not to play the game of politics as we play, but to offer an entirely different world altogether, the kingdom of God. And so last week, we addressed the reality of today in 2021 and asked the question that we probably all are feeling right now. Can anything good come from this season? Can anything good come from me, come from you? If we're going to live a life of discipleship, we know our lives pretty well, our hearts. We know our stories, our flaws, our mistakes. Can God make something good out of even this, out of even us? And the answer is yes. Yes. And so we come to week three of our six weeks, and this week is called Follow Me. It's, from, it's where the title of the whole series comes from is our passage today. And actually, we have two passages and. This first part, we're going to look at a Hebrew scripture story, and we're going to focus then on the gospel in a bit. And so first, we're going to have some fun. You ready to have some fun with scripture? Do you have fun with scripture? You should, because scripture is full of things to have fun with. And Jonah, 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 <laughs> Jonah is a story that many of us know, or at least we've heard. We're, we're familiar with at least part of it. Now, Oftentimes, Jonah is kind of told centering on a big fish, which actually has hardly anything to do with the story. It's not even that big of a deal in the grand scheme of what the story is all about. The point of the book has nothing to do with a fish. And so if you think of Jonah and you think of fish, well, you're thinking of the right person. But let's dive into the story a little more because this story, if we were Hebrews in the 4th or 5th century BCE, so four or five centuries before Christ's arrival, we would hear this story and just be giggling throughout the entire story because it is full of humor. It is satire. It is folklore. It's a parable. And it's even midrash. It's a commentary on wisdom. And so the story provokes these kinds of emotions. It's, a, it's telling a story that is very serious and speaks to the heart of Israelites in that time but in a way that would make them see the silliness of their norm and their culture. So I realized, you know, or we need to realize that this book is a commentary on foreign relations. That's what the book's about. It would, it would play us if we were in that time and, and aware of the culture shift and what's happening in the book. It would play us against our sense of superiority as God's chosen people. It would pit us against our self-righteous view that our enemies deserve suffering and not the blessing of God's grace and mercy. 
And this story centers around the city of Nineveh. Did you know that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria? Do you know who the Assyrians are? The Assyrians are a foe that shows up again and again against the Israelites. Battles and war and struggle and siege and death are all around the group of Assyrians in this time in the history of the Israelites, and actually more of the, the 7th and 8th century, long-standing enemies of the people. So the last people on earth that you'd want to hear a story about, unless the story was about them being destroyed or suffering. And so we see that Assyria is the epitome of enemy and evil in the eyes of the Israelites of that time. So we could probably think of a group today. I'm not going to name that group because we really shouldn't be naming any group in that way, but we do. And so if you want to know who the enemies of our time are, go watch a movie and see what country or group the, the antagonist is a part of. And so you can follow our enemies through watching movies because we like to write movies where we, the protagonists defeat the antagonist who happens to be the people we want to see defeated in our own time. And that time, the book of Jonah, it's Assyria. Now, the way the story is presented with this parable, folktale, satire, and commentary, uh, it's got an unnamed king. So it tells a story, but it doesn't name the king, which would be able to place it in history. But the whole idea is that any point in time could be served by telling the story. You could put any king in there of the enemy people. Jonah's name himself, his name means the dove son of faithfulness, a dove who flies and rises. But Jonah descends throughout the whole story as unfaithful. The play on words, even in Jonah's name, it's, it's actually the name of Noah turned inside out. Instead of Noah, it's Ionah. And so in the Hebrew, it just jumps off the page that there's something funny going on here. A joke amidst this very serious story that pierces the very heart of us. And so Jonah is told at the beginning of the book to go to the people of Nineveh and cry out to them as a warning from the Lord. And Jonah, realizing he's being told to go to the enemy people and warn them, says no. No. And he goes the other way. He gets in a boat and sails in the opposite direction. And it comes a point on that voyage where God is not happy that he is going the wrong way. And so a storm comes and the ship's going to sink. And so the sailors that he's with start throwing things overboard. And finally, Jonah says, throw me overboard. This is my fault. It's because I'm on here. Throw me. Let me drown. Let me die and be rid of this charge. He would choose death over the calling. And then ironically, humorously, the waters cannot even give him the refuge he seeks because a big fish swallows him and eventually vomits him up on the shore, which then takes him right to Nineveh. And so we enter the story in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. And declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. Now Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days walk across. 
Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, Just forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes, from the greatest of them to the least significant. God saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jonah receives the second word of the Lord, which is the exact same message as before at the beginning. He receives the same thing. And having gone through all he's gone through, he begrudgingly goes and offers what really is a pitiful message. He offers five words in the Hebrew language. Five words. And it translates, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's the message he gives. Five words. He goes into the city that is 60 miles wide, if we go by how long it would take to walk. He goes in and musters five words for that city. Now, the funny thing is, the city responds. It responds completely so that everyone in the city turns, hears the word, and changes. Are you laughing yet? You should be. You should be. Jonah, Jonah gives the least amount of effort in this huge city, and it works. Uh, and it's against everything that Jonah is hoping will happen. Do you see the humor in the story? After making every effort to forego his call, he gives the bare minimum effort to offer a warning to the enemy of his people, and it works. <laughs> and Jonah is an absolute misery. Misery. He, at the thought of his enemy receiving the grace and mercy of God, he spends the rest of this book complaining in anger at God. And when God says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah keeps replying, yes, it's right for me to be angry. And then he tries to justify his anger. He's so frustrated that God isn't acting as Jonah thinks God should act. Jonah had it all sorted out. He knew who Nineveh was. And he knew what they deserved. And it certainly wasn't God's mercy. And it's kind of funny because Jonah actually responds, I know you're a merciful God. But not to them. <laughs> they were the enemy. Jonah was called to go and he went the other way. He was asked to go to the city, but instead he jumped into a boat and tried to escape. He was asked to offer his voice to the enemy, the words of God's warning. But instead, he attempted to give his breath away in the waters. He offered next to nothing. And it brought the grace and mercy of God to a 60-mile-wide city of people. 120,000 people, actually, is what is listed at the end of the book. And this is a biblical number, a biblical way to say everyone, all of them, 12, paralleling the 12 tribes of Israel. That's how you refer to all the people of Israel, the 12 tribes. It's another way to say all of Israel. And 1,000 is a biblical figure for infinite, complete. And so 120,000, I mean, you're talking 1,000 times 10 times 12. This is everybody, all the enemies of God that are in Nineveh turn 
They receive the message. They receive the mercy. God is in the business of bringing grace and mercy to the whole world through the chosen people because that's their calling to bring the mercy and goodness of God to everyone because the whole world actually is part of the family of God and God's about bringing everyone back together into a single household as one people. And God does this by calling others to go and spread the word. Jonah, in this case. And what we learn from the story is all we have to do is go and do, and even in the bare minimum, it can bring everybody, everybody into the kingdom of God here and now. The whole point of Jonah is summarized with the last couple of verses when a question is posed and then the story ends because it's up to us as the readers to respond to the question. And the question, in a very summarized way, is, is God able to bring grace and mercy to everyone? A question appropriate for our own day as much as it was for Jonas. So now let us hear from Mark, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. As Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away they left their nets and followed him. After going a little farther, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, and their boat repairing the fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in our gospel story of Mark for our lectionary year B, Jesus has been baptized and then is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested, and he's emerged on the other side, and John is now arrested in the story. And so John had been preaching the kingdom coming, and now John has been arrested, and so Jesus emerges from his time of testing, having received the Spirit of God in this unique way through baptism, and now picks up the mantle and begins to preach the message. And so the gospel is the word that we use to talk about the message that Christ brings. Gospel, it's a Greek word. It comes from a Greek word that means good news. It means proclamation. It's something that a herald would announce when a new king was crowned, when things were about to change, the old way is gone and the new way is beginning, and it would be announced using the gospel. And so the gospel, as we hear Jesus announcing it of a new king, a new way, I want you to hear it again. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust the good news. Something is happening in and around and through Jesus. He's preaching the same message that John did, but fulfilling it because the kingdom comes now. It's breaking in. 
Something unique is happening in and around Jesus. And Jesus is in the business of calling disciples, calling people to come and be a part of heralding this new message. Not only heralding it, but learning it, acting it out, letting the the kingdom actually come to fruition through them, through the Holy Spirit that will be at work through them after his crucifixion. They now, it starts to happen with his presence being with them. And he has a simple message to call the disciples, a very simple message. Come, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Come and follow me. Another way to say it is come and be my disciples and I'll teach you how to make disciples. And this was enough to get fishermen to drop their nets right where they were, to leave everything behind, and to enter into this new life of discipleship following Jesus Christ. Jesus called fishermen not because they were fishermen. Jesus called fishermen because he's inviting people to become disciples, and the fishermen were ready to follow him. That's that's what he came to do, to call anyone that he came across. He gives fishermen an image of fishing for people because they'd understand that he's calling them into something unique, to be a part of the kingdom message, to bring more people into it. He called disciples to teach them about the inbreaking kingdom, but part of teaching about it is actually them teaching it to others. So it's one and the same. You receive the invitation and you give the invitation, and by giving the invitation, it's a way of you receiving the invitation itself. You're a part of the kingdom, by sharing the kingdom. And through sharing it, you experience more of it. It's quite mysterious, but quite wonderful. Now, the fishermen didn't fish like using fishing poles. So if you've, you've probably never fished like first century Israelite fishers fished. They would use big long nets like a drag net, maybe multiple boats holding one part of the net, the other part would sink to the bottom and then they would move the boats or someone would be on the shore with ropes tied to the boats and they would pull the boats back to the shore and they would basically scoop up all the fish in the dragnet. And so they would catch anything that came into the dragnet. All types of fish would be caught in the dragnet. Now eventually they would sort the fish out to determine what they're going to sell or the rest of the business, but they weren't selective in the catching. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you how to sort people. And that's key. It's the Jonas of the world that are in the business of sorting out who can be part of the kingdom and who cannot. It's the Jonas who live this life of anger and disgust when the grace and love and mercy of God extends beyond their comfort zone. And so we don't want to be Jonah. We don't want to get into the business of sorting. Jesus teaches his disciples to catch the fish. And disciple is about invitation. That's what discipleship is. We receive that invitation and we extend that invitation at the same time. Jesus didn't come and say, follow me if you have all the answers. Come and I'll teach you how to live into a life of discipleship, is what he says. Come and I'll teach you. And then I'll teach you how to disciple others as well. That's our calling, to be both, to be a disciple and a disciple maker. We learn Jesus' teaching as we go, but we are called to invite others all the while. 
This is not a job for pastors alone, by the way, disciple-making. This is a job for you all. Now, my calling is unique, and I extend the invitation, certainly, but you all have access to extend the invitation in ways that I do not, because in reality, you are the ones out in the world. Most of my work is in and among the church. I'm not at the places you are at. Now, I venture out and live life beyond the church grounds, certainly, and when I do, I, I want to live a life of discipleship that way, but you all have intimate relationships with people beyond the church, whether it's at work or whether it's at uh, gatherings with friends. Um, you are the ones that live beyond the church grounds in a way that, that, that I don't. And to be a disciple maker, it doesn't mean you become a pastor either. It means you be who you are, where you are, and you live that life as a calling into discipleship both coming and being a part of the church as we grow together, but then going out and extending the invitation to people in your world. And so you're, you're all around this world and community. You all are teachers. You are consultants. You are accountants. You are technical support. You are farmers, bus drivers, laundromat owners. You are country or federal and state workers, you are bankers, you are construction workers, nurses, doctors, actors, specialists, locksmiths, principals, students, athletes, travelers, you are retirees, you are veterans, you are mentors, gardeners, gamers, whether on a board or online, you all are mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, you are neighbors, you are friends of so many. You have a connection with people in their everyday life, through your everyday life. You're everywhere that you need to be, that God has called the church to be. Not because the church exists in one place on Sunday morning, certainly not. And if we haven't learned that in the last year, then I don't know what we're going to have to do to get us to learn that. You are everywhere I'm not, and everyone else is everywhere that you are not. And somehow through all of that, we're right where we need to be. It's you that reach out to the counties that are beyond Clark. Some of you are in all the surrounding counties. You're three towns over. You're in other school districts. You work in businesses. You're in theaters. You're in restaurants. You're in retirement communities, neighborhoods, social clubs, gyms, studios, fields, whether it's for pasture or whether it's for sport. This is where you all go and live and are called to be precisely where you are and as you are learning a life of discipleship and extending the invitation to those around you. Fellow disciples, you are everywhere and you are surrounded by a multitude. We could probably sum up all the people that you're around by a simple number of 120,000, right? It's everybody. And, and everywhere around you are people of all different ideas, all, all different ways of life. You're around Christians. You're around non-Christians, maybe atheists, maybe non-theists. Maybe, maybe you work with Republicans. Maybe you work with Democrats. Maybe you work with libertarians or theocrats or dot, dot, dot. You work with a whole wide variety of people that covers everybody. Everywhere and everybody that we are supposed to be as a church community, you are. And I bet if we live out this witness of the way of Jesus Christ right where we are and extend the invitation, we will live into this life of fishing for people, so to speak. 
So do you fish for people? Do you extend the invitation or do you live a life as a witness to the way of God revealed in Jesus Christ? Do you live it for everybody? For everyone? For everybody? Or do you sort out who can receive the way of the kingdom and who can't? Are we nervous? Are we intimidated? Are we angered at the idea of certain groups of people receiving that kind of invitation of God's grace and mercy and invitation through us? Do we feel inadequate? Like we don't have the right answers or the right words? Well, friends, bearing witness doesn't mean we sort anything out. We catch. We're not pointing fingers and telling people all the things they're doing wrong because that makes us a hypocrite. We have lots of work to do in our own lives. And if you're in the way of pointing your finger, the way of Jonah's, it's not going to lead you down a very good path. We'll sort that out later. The Holy Spirit will sort that out later. Jesus will sort that out later. We are called to catch. And we're living a life of discipleship And we can use our words, sure, but it's our actions. Remember, our definition are those who are learning the teachings of Jesus Christ as we act in compassion, justice, worship, and devotion guided by the Holy Spirit. We can communicate uh, through word, but it's not going to mean much without our actions behind it. We extend the invitation, not sorting, and we live our lives as a communication as to what we are all about. All people, every person lives and acts with their heart as their guide. Now it's what is their heart devoted to? That's the question. And you could see it in people's actions. Anyone can say anything they want. You can say you're about whatever you want to be as much as anyone else can. But it doesn't take long for us to start looking at actions, seeing how people respond to start to understand what they're really about. Maybe it's about money, power, greed. Maybe it's whatever, anything other than God. We make decisions, and how we make decisions tells the story of the kingdom we're about. How we live our vocations and our professions, wherever you are, that tells about where your allegiance lies. Your true nature is revealed by how you respond to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your students, to your teachers, to your clients, to your cashiers, to your restaurant servers, to the person driving by you on the road who maybe cuts you off or doesn't drive the way that you think they should. How you respond says a lot about who you serve, who you're witnessing to, what your life is about, inviting or sorting. Your true life of being a disciple is seen by how you respond, especially by those people that aren't your people. So those who vote different, those who look different, maybe they dress different, maybe they have a different pigmentation to their skin, maybe their hair is colored different. Those who worship different, our allegiance is shown in how we respond to those who are of different religions. How do we respond? Sorting or inviting? Those who are of a different culture, they smell different, they eat different, they, they talk different. How do we respond? Are we catching or are we sorting? Those who are immigrants, 
Are you catching? Are you sorting? And as Jesus walked and had many who set themselves against him, it's how we respond to enemies that reveals what we're really about. We can be like Jonah and struggle, or we can be like Christ and live into forgiveness in the way we respond. Now, this is not an easy way of life. Jesus inviting them out of the boat, it's not a simple request. It's simple words, but it's a complicated, it's a difficult request because you're stepping out of everything you know, everything you understand, the way that you've sorted out the world. And let's be honest, living in the boat, that's pretty comfortable. Living in the boat, that's the world we know. And I'll tell you, the conversations probably had in the boats by the fishermen probably sound a lot like the conversations we've had many times. Probably conversations about the politics of the day, the religion of the day, the prejudice of the day, the bias of the day. Like Jonah, I imagine the ones sitting in the boat have the world all sorted out. They've solved all the world's problems. They've gathered with like-mindedness and dealt out who deserves and who does not. Life in the boat was probably pretty easy for those disciples until Jesus came along and invited them to something bigger and better with a purpose and a meaning that extends beyond their kingdoms and opens them up to God's. The same invitation is before you, me, us, and everyone else. You may feel you have the world all sorted out. If we're honest, most of us do. Amen? You may be a Christian right now, and you may not be. You are still called. Now, maybe you're a Christian, non-Christian. You're still going to be called into a different way of life because every step of this journey of faith reveals more and more about the inbreaking kingdom and how it redefines everything about us. And we're going to know more in five years than we do now about the way the kingdom works, particularly if we give ourselves to this life of discipleship and invitation giving. We're going to be revealed more and more through the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's a good thing. Friends, Jesus calls you out of the boat. Jesus calls you into a life of discipleship, and if you've been on that walk, Jesus is still calling you to be a part of the kingdom breaking in, the kingdom way of life, not of sorting and having all the answers, but of invitation and learning and growing and discovering the right questions, living into something new. We're called to learn how to live into the kingdom of God. And it takes time. And it counters almost everything that we've known up to the point in our life that we've been introduced to the kingdom. And even then, it takes a while for us to unlearn bad habits and to learn new ways. The kingdom that offers us life in this culture, it gives us what this culture can only promise with empty promises. If we keep living by this culture, by sorting, by chasing power and greed and status and privilege, we will never have enough, friends, ever. We'll never arrive at a place where we feel peace, joy, love, satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose, meaning. It is only through getting out of the boat 
that we live into a new way of life that is true life. You could stay in the boat. Jesus won't make you get out. The world will spin on. You'll continue to be about what you are about. You'll continue to wrestle with the same dissatisfactions that you wrestle with now. Or you can heed the call of Jesus. Leave the old way behind. Change your heart and lives and trust in the good news of the kingdom of God coming now that you were invited into. Come, Jesus says. Follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Come, follow me and I'll show you how to live a life that offers satisfaction and fulfillment beyond your comprehension. Come and follow me and I'll show you the way of love, which brings the kind of healing that can only be described using the word salvation. Come follow me and I'll teach you how to live into the kingdom of God, a life full of meaning and purpose. Come and follow me. That's what Jesus says. So friends, what are you waiting for? We thank you for worshiping with us, and it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.